Marshall Mason and Lanford Wilson sat down with moderator Tanya Barrison for a one-on-one interview in November of 2002. I'm Susan Stroman, a member of Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, and this is Masters of the Stage. This program is produced and presented by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation in collaboration with the American Theatre Wing. Because this program was not originally intended for broadcast, it is not of the highest technical quality. As a result, portions of the conversation may have been edited. Good evening, everyone. My name is Joe Malosha. I'm the Executive Director of the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation. Tonight is a very, very special one-on-one conversation for us, and actually a very special treat for me personally. We have three of the founders of Circle Rep with us tonight, and as all of you know, Circle Rep is one of the original premier off-Broadway theaters. It was an extraordinary theater, and personally was extraordinary to me. Um, just a little personal anecdote. When I first started in this business, um, I started a theater company. I had no where to turn. A friend of mine worked at Circle Rep, and we went to Circle Rep. We had a very small company, and they gave us space. They gave us guidance. And most importantly, they gave us moral support. And literally, Tommy Harrison turned the keys over. I thought she was nuts. <laughs> to the garage, that beautiful garage space down on, on Sheraton Square. I will be eternally grateful to Circle Rep for everything you guys did for me um, and the friendships that I've made because of it. The, as you'll see in your program, the alumni of Circle Rep is like a who's who of American theater directors designers, writers, actors. We were just talking outside. It's extraordinary. The careers of these three artists, it's extraordinary. And the career careers of Marshall and Lanford, Marshall W. Mason and Lanford Wilson in particular, is the story, I think, of the American theater and the American play, especially American off-Broadway theater. And we are so honored to have the three of them here this evening. Uh, on the eve of the opening of their new of a new play, Sunday, yeah, Sunday, yeah. Book of Days at the Signature yeah. Theater. So I urge you all to go see it. Of course, this is Lanford Wilson's season at Signature Theater. So I urge you all to go down there. Um, I just, just a few quick notes because if I read their bios, it's, they're so lengthy and they're so enormous. Um, and I'm sure you guys read them in the program. But Marshall and Lanford began working together, of course, in uh, Bombay in 1964 and have produced some of the best American theaters, theater, I think, that's ever been done. And their plays just rattle off for like Tally's Folly, Burn This, Fifth of July, Hot of Baltimore, which I love. <laughs> Angels Fall, The Mound Builders, Redwood Curtain, and on and on and on. And the product, the production of Circle Rep turned out uh, over the years has just been extraordinary. In 1999, Marshall was honored by the Stage Directors and Practices Foundation and the SSDC with a very special Mr. Abbott Award for being one of the most influential and innovative directors of the 20th century. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce their good friend and colleague, Tanya Berezin, who not only was one of the co-founders of Circle Rep, a wonderful actress, but also an artistic director of the company for, for 10 years and a good friend. So I give you Lanford Wilson, Marshall Mason, and Tanya Berezin. Thank you. Thank you. 
very interesting because uh, Joe told me when we were speaking on the telephone that this is actually the first two-in-one. <laughs> or one-on-two, one-one that you've had. Threesome, threesome. Because it's about a collaboration as opposed to being just about a director's career, which I think is very exciting. So I'm going to start with a question applying to that. Uh, and please tell our audience how your creative relationship began, where it all started, what was the impulse for <laughs> I think you do that better than I do. You know? Really? Yeah. Uh, you're, you're talking about the, the wh why? The why? why? And what, what, what well, I, I, I will tell you the very first time that we met. Uh, I was at the Cafe Chino doing, uh, I, I did a play called, uh, oh, Cafe Chino did one act play. They had a play called Home Free, which was the first real play I wrote. And, uh, uh, and then I, I rewrote it because uh, early in the play, or no, late, late in the play, you learned that they were, the two characters were brother and sister, and she was pregnant with his baby. And there was this huge cast in the audience, and I said, I don't want that. I, don't, I really just don't want that. Uh, it, it's not supposed to be that kind of play. It's not a surprise play. Am I too loud? I'm suddenly very loud in my ears. Okay, all right. That's just that thing that happens in your ears. Uh, and. Uh, so I rewrote it, it was redone, where we learned very early that they were brother and sister. And so there wasn't a gasp yet. And, uh, and uh, Marshall, the heralded Marshall, I mean, he had, he had already had this huge success at, at, uh, at uh, Cafe Chino and had done like a, a bunch of plays anyway. And he was like fabled there, but I'd never met him. And he finally came, he had, I had heard that he had seen Home Free. And so Joe introduced us and I said, what did you think of the rewrite? Isn't it so much better? Doesn't it work so much better? He says, no, I think you've ruined it. And that was the first thing he said to me. So anyway, now, what? that's how we met. So that's how you met. But basically what I wanted to ask, and it's interesting because Joe was very kind to give me all sorts of suggested questions. Yeah, I've looked at the list. We're not going to get through no, it. The first three are really the same question, okay. which is what attracted you? What in Lambert's work attracted you? What in Marshall's work attracted you? What was it? What you mean at the very beginning or now? Well, first was the very beginning. Okay, the very beginning. The, well, uh, you know, fabled, we were one, I was wandering around the village, unable to sleep on an October night, uh, not unlike tonight, no. cold and yeah. miserable, and uh, I ran into Lanford in the village, and, uh, and uh, we stopped for a cup of hot chocolate at Wayland's Drugstore, no longer there on 8th Street and uh, Greenwich Avenue. Yeah. And uh, he said, I've written this play called Mommy Gilead, and I said, oh, I'd like to read it. He said, well, what are you doing now? And, uh, okay, it's the middle of the night, all right, fine, why not? So I followed him over to uh, the Broadway Central where he was living with Michael Warren Powell. Yeah. The hotel uh, fell down later. That's, that's right. <laughs> and uh, I sat on the day bed and read Baum and Gilead straight through without stopping. And at the end of it, I said, I gave it back to him and I said, this is like, it's a contemporary lower depths. It's just amazing. You're going to need a great director to do this. And uh, two weeks later, it, right? uh, Michael Powell said, I understand you hated Bowman. <laughs> I said, I hate it. I said it was comparable to 
the lower depths, for God's sake, is the best original play I've ever read. And uh, he, he said, well, Leffer thinks you hated it. I said, well, I told him it needed a brilliant director. Did he understand? I was talking about, <laughs> I want to do it. So um, Michael, you know, got us together. And I, truthfully, uh, Tanya, it was um, the scope of Lanford's uh, humanity. Uh, the, the, this play had 30-some-odd characters in it. Truth be told, he had also, in the meantime, he wrote another play called uh, The Sandcastle. The Sandcastle. I don't know if you remember this, but oh, yes. I, I said, I'll do Bum, when you asked me would I do it, I said, I'll do Bum and Gilead on one condition. You said, what's that? I said, that, that you guarantee me I can do The Sandcastle. Yeah. <laughs> so I worded the wise to young directors. <laughs> I already secured the second one before I did the first one. Uh, he had read, he had read, I read Sandcastle to them late at night at the Cafe Chino, because I just finished it. And, and there was Clarice Nelson, who's a playwright, who had, he had done a lot of, a lot of work of hers. And uh, I read it to them, and, and uh, to, to Joe Chino and Clarice and, and Marshall and a couple of other people. And, because I just finished it, I was so excited. And uh, he said, that's the best original play I've ever heard. And I said, how many original plays have you heard? And Clara said, well, all of mine, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, having made this agreement, we, we decided that we could work on Bob and Gilead together in, in the fall of 1964. And we, be, uh, we started out by, by uh, well, uh, uh, Landford says I, I did an analysis of his play over several hours that told him everything. Four hours. Four hours. That, uh, I, I, said, I don't remember me. this, by the way. Oh, I don't remember this. I, I, I said... Boy, and this is important for any playwrights in the United, and important for, for, for all of you. Uh, I had said before, tell me about the play to someone who was at Actors Studio, uh, and they said, well, to begin with, you have two, two singers coming out from, from each side, and I may not want them to come out from each side. I may not, you know, it was just L. And I, I cut him off really early and, uh, and said, thank you so much. Uh, uh, in other words, I don't know what in the hell he was talking about. Uh, and then I, uh, when, when Marshall said that, that, when we finally got together and he said, I'd like to do it, uh, I said, tell me about the play. And that's the question playwrights have to ask actor, uh, directors. Uh, tell me about the play. And for four hours, a full month and a half after he had read it, he told me about the play, including little circles that I had like just amused myself with that are in the that are in the writing. And, and, and the first, well, I said to Michael Warren Powell, who was my roommate at the time, uh, one of my two roommates, and uh, uh, I said, "This is really a play about economics." I mean. Really, when you get down to it, it's not about drugs, it's not about hordes, it's not about the solution of prostitutes, it's about economics. And the first thing Marshall said, well, this could be done on Wall Street, this could be about Wall Street, this play about economics. And I was, whoa! And uh, he proceeded to tell me every single damn thing I had put in the play, and, and took twice as long as the play runs to, uh, <laughs> to say it, and I was flabbergasted, and said, you know, if, if you can put it on stage as well as you understand it, you sure as hell can do this play. But I think that's really a key thing 
Lenford. Uh, you know, I've because, not seen a damn thing of yours. You know. Yeah, I know. And uh, ultimately, though, when, when we began to work together on in casting and so forth, one of the first things I remember about our relationship was <laughs> uh, after I'd done some improvisations with the actors and got them all into uh, really the idea of an ensemble, which is my definition that everybody connected with the production, the actors, the, the designers, the director, everybody are inhabiting the world of the play. That's what we're trying to create. I'm sorry for you back there in the very back. Maybe you should stand. <laughs> Can you, is that better? I mean, you don't have to hurt your yeah. necks. No, yeah, you can't see you know, it. I mean, I, I mean, really, is that, is that me? That was you. Uh, was it? I, I really don't mind standing. Uh, no, I don't either. The, the, um, it, it, it was, we, we started to work, and, and what I quickly discovered that was we liked the same thing about actors. We loved reality. We loved people that you couldn't tell it was the acting. Yeah. You know, Lambert's phrase is, that actor doesn't know how to lie. He doesn't, doesn't know how not to tell the truth. Yeah. And that's what we looked for in our actors, and that's what we, we largely got. And, uh, from the very beginning, I remember Leonard, at some point I overheard him describing to uh, somebody else what working with me was like. And he said, I don't know, it's like he directs with a magic wand or something. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. And uh, One of the most exciting things was, uh, wait a minute, for the, for the Cafe La Mama, we had a very long uh, audition yeah. sequence. It, it just went on and on and on. Uh, because there are very few people who will work for nothing for even you know, for uh, three weeks of rehearsals and and uh, one week guaranteed of performances and uh, uh, and just sitting there with Marshall and having him ask the actors questions and and giving them suggestions to do it again and it was like an acting class it was like I learned I had never been, I mean, you understand this was the, what, maybe third or fourth play that I'd had done. All, all the rest were one acts. And, fourth play, I guess. Yeah, and, and uh, Neil Flanagan had directed them, and Neil Flanagan is not that kind of, it's not a, uh, uh, that kind of actor. Uh, he's in, uh, anyway. Uh, I, it was like a course in acting. It was amazing just to see what he was trying to get from them and, and it, it made me understand what an actor has to do. And I immediately said, well, I sure as hell don't want any part of that. Yeah. Uh, uh, so so I, 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 I learned so much just from the, from the audition and then from the rehearsals. Oh my God, I had no idea that that's what, that's what you do to do a play. I mean, they went out on, on uh, we did a lot of research. We went out and did basic research. We, uh, you know, observed and and uh, and interviewed prostitutes and yeah. drug addicts and uh, everything the, everything there was to to, to try to yeah we hung, yeah, hung out at the place that I so that I've written about. It sounds like your first time together was a learning. Oh, it was, you it was, discovered it was, we discovered each other. We discovered each other. It was yeah. like having two heads. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It was amazing. Uh, and you know, once you find that, you'd be a damn fool to uh, to change it. Uh, also, and I will never forget the riff that that Tennessee and Ilya Kazan had, and 
Tennessee never had a good a, a production as good as as Ilya Kazan understood his work after that. Not one. Well, maybe until Battle of Angels. Well, I mean, Marshall directed that. Right? Yeah, until Battle of Angels, which Tanya started. Yeah, which Tanya was the lead in. Yeah. You, when I first asked this question, you said then or now. What about now? What is? You know, it, it, it's nearly 40 years later. Oh, yeah, my God. You didn't even say that. <laughs> A long time later. And uh, it, it, the, the relationship has evolved over the years uh, in the sense that uh, we understand the process between our working process so much better than we ever did, you know, when we started, that... Uh, Many times, I guess, it's, it's like synapses. You know, they talk about that in the brain. And I almost feel that happens between Lanford and me uh, when, we're, when we're starting to create. It, it's, uh, I don't know. Uh, it, I tell you, it doesn't have a lot to do with thinking about it. And I don't believe no. directing has a lot to do. And I don't think creating has a lot to do with thinking. <coughs> I think it comes from some other source. And it's inspiration or, or what have you. And, and I try, when I work with actors, I try to do exactly that, to stimulate them in terms of their unconscious creativity rather than the intellectual, intellectual choices. Yeah. yeah, so we, we <coughs> neither of us are very smart, per se. <laughs> uh, but well, I'm we, leaving now. <laughs> but we... Uh, but it's true. In your process, is it, do you collaborate on everything? I mean, with the it's actors, very, it's, with it's, the designers, or is there... Is there like fields? This is okay. Yeah, the, you know that that does uh, uh, differ a little bit from from time to time, yeah. depending on the play. Uh, quite often, though, Lanford would write a play. I remember Mound Builders specifically. Uh, he wrote Mound Builders, and he handed the price the Mound. He wrote the first act of the Mound Builders. It took forever. Yeah. Gave it to me, and he said, "I have no idea what this is supposed to look like. I, you know, all I know is we're out in the country, and I hear crickets really loud, and I hear, you know." strange noises in the night and I see a woman who's pregnant who's trying to do sit-ups or something. Yeah, we have a bug, we don't understand what the hell that is, you know. Scared and, uh, and, in the country. Yeah. And I said, okay, okay, well, well, you know, we'll figure out what it's supposed to look like. And I talked to my designers, uh, uh, John Lee, at one point, and I said, I'm really sorry I don't have anything to tell you about this. It's, it's um, and I, I sort of described some of the feelings I had about it. And then a, a week or so passed, and we came back, and we had a, uh, a technical, uh, what do you call those, production meeting. Production. And, and John Lee was there. And, and, but in the meantime, I'd had all these revelations. I suddenly saw exactly what the set should look like. Yeah. I said, oh, it should be like a shipwreck. It should be yeah. you know, raked, and, and there should be these lights where the searchlights are on, and, and there should be some kind of a huge screen behind. And I was very excited, and going on and on, and I suddenly looked down and I noticed that John Lee Beatty had a one of those big black things with him and I said yeah. oh uh, John uh, have you got something to show us because I really embarrassed myself by <laughs> describing the perfect set yeah. and he said well yes I have something and he opened the thing and he pulled out the set I had just described yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. you know how does that happen I don't know I don't know he had no idea. It came really clear to me like a week after I talked to my yeah. designer, but it came clear to John Lee from just my into yeah. uh, you know my gut response to what yeah, we were doing. They're, they're in a house that is beside a, a lake that is being filled. It's a river that's been dammed, 
and they're archaeologists and they're working as most archaeologists do in salvage operations like going like crazy much too fast because it's all going to be underwater sometimes the house is going to lift up and float down the river and crash somewhere and he he designed the house after it had already crashed yeah. and that's the way I don't know if I described it that way before uh, it was published but that's the way it's described now uh, Later on, he did a much, in a, in a revival of it, he did a much more realistic house and the whole thing wasn't nearly as good. Uh, but that's the year we try to forget about. Yeah. <laughs> the first one was really, really terrific. Tanya was also the lead in that. Yeah, that's a, she won an Obie for that one. Yeah. Uh, Lanford uh, 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 is very fond of, of the mound builders. He keeps saying to people, oh, this is my favorite play that I've written, or the best play I've written. He said it for years and years. He stopped saying it recently because there's a good reason. Uh, and uh, I, on the other hand, it was not my favorite production, let me put it that way, because, and you'll appreciate this as directors, there were something like 250 slides. Yeah. You know, oh boy, uh, yeah. <laughs> what fun. That went and, too fast. People would try to look at them, and then the next one would be on. They got frustrated. And, and not only that, but, but uh, we had that famous moment at the intermission of... Uh, on the Saturday matinee that Clyde Barnes was coming to see the show that afternoon. And uh, the night before, I had had a, a, a blinding flash of a realization that something that was in the first act needed to be put into the second act, or vice versa. I don't even remember at this point, yeah, but it was, it was a first complete change. And we had all these, all these slides, all these technical, you know, impossible to change. We held everybody out in the lobby, including Mr. Barnes, while I went backstage and, and said, okay, Jonathan, you know, instead of coming in at this point, you're going to go to this point. Tanya, you do this and do this. Yeah. And we changed it in 20 minutes. And John Lee, no, it was 35 minutes. And John Lee <laughs> rearranged all the slides and everything, and everyone's out in the lobby saying, what in the hell is going on? Peter Schneider rearranged re all the slides. Peter Schneider. Peter Schneider, yeah. Subsequently president of Disney. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> was, His assistant at the time. He was my assistant at the time. He's had two assistants that, that have been presidents of, that have later become presidents of movie companies. But P Peter was the stage manager on that, and he, he, ran the, he did the slides. Yeah. yeah. Um, when you have disagreements, how do you settle them? Do we have disagreements? Not very often. I usually just say, oh, fine. Uh, uh, when have we had a disagreement? I don't know. Not very often, because usually he knows what I'm talking about, and I know what he's talking about, and I say, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, I thought that, of one. That'll work, yeah. I thought of one. Uh, yeah. we, had a, we had a big disagreement over uh, Angel's Fall. Uh, you like you were the Catholic priest, and I was the. Uh, oh yes. <laughs> yeah. I was the. Uh, oh, he, he Academic, and, yeah. and I loved Fritz Weaver, and I loved the point of view of the professor, and yeah. and he was promoting the priest. And well, he thought I was, but I didn't intend to. He, he, his interpretation was, it's it's like this Catholic tract, and I said, Jesus, no, absolutely not. I had no intention of that. His sympathy. He said, well, that's the way I that's the way I I, I read it. And, uh, and so I went back through it and, uh, and, and tried to make it more what I really intended it to be, which he had seen uh, in a very different view. And, uh, and quite rightly, it was not at all what I, what I had intended. So we, we, uh, we, we, uh, we came together on that, on that one, finally. A really lovely story is when I finished uh, Tally's Folly, we had a reading 
uh, Circle Rep used to have a reading every Friday night, every Friday afternoon of a new play. And uh, the afternoon that we read Tally's Folly, uh, Jonathan Hogan, who still couldn't understand why he couldn't play this, this uh, Jewish accountant, uh, <laughs> read because, uh, because uh, I had written it for, for Judd, but he wasn't available. He was off doing a, his first uh, television series. Uh, and uh, everyone flipped out except Marshall. <laughs> and he said, uh, do you want to come into the office? And, and so he and my Munstead and I came into the office. And I had, I thought this was pretty damn good. And so I had a, a big chip on my shoulder. And, uh, and he started talking about it. And within four minutes, I saw exactly what he was talking about. And went, oh my God, I hate to say it, but you're exactly right. And so I, I went then back to my house. We didn't say it very graciously. No, I didn't. <laughs> so I, I went back and, and rewrote, rewrote it the way he had he had had indicated that that it, it should probably be, or no, strongly indicated that it should be. <laughs> uh, and uh, and we came back, and he was in the middle of rehearsals. He was exhausted. I came back with the script. And uh, he said, all right, let's, let's just read it back and forth. It's a, it's a two-hander, so let's just read it back and forth. I'll read Matt. You read Sally. Great. <laughs> you give me Sally, right? So we read it, and, oh, this is a very good thing for, if there are any writers here, it's a very good thing for writers to, to, to do. Uh, he said... Yeah, that is much, much better. I think we can go with that. And I said, no way. As Sally, he had said a couple of things that just pissed me off so much. I mean, as Matt, he had said that. And I was Sally. And I had no reply except, oh, or yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm sorry. You know, and I went back to the, the room that I used in the circle rep offices. And and rewrote the whole center of the play where Sally find because uh, I don't care if you know Sally's folly or not, I'll, I'll ruin it for you. Uh, uh, Matt tells his story about, uh, about not wanting to have children. I mean, it ends up, he, he refuses to have children. Sally cannot have children. And she assumes from his story that he's making this tragic story of his life, that he's making it up just so it'll, it'll fit with her life, you know. And I got so livid that he was saying these things just to please me. And, you know, I wanted to know how in the hell he had found out because it was a deep family secret. And uh, so I went in and had a fit. And, you know, I mean, just wrote her having a fit and, and, and trying to leave and, and saying, you know, you know, did you make all that up? And, and on and on and on. It, it improved her part by 50%. Uh, so, well, that's collaboration. 
And when you collaborate now with, because you both, your work is so spread out, with other people, how different is the experience? What, how do you work differently with other people? Other new writers or other directors? Well, I wish every, you know, I wish every playwright <laughs> had this, you know, the sensibility and love for actors that Lanford has. Uh, that, that's the main thing that I, that, and also, he, uh, you know, he wants his play to be the best it possibly can be. So I listen. So he listens, yeah. exactly. I mean, God, what a difference that is. Yeah. And, 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 he, and he really trusts, he trusts me and he trusts the actors and he trusts the artistic process that we're all trying to do the same thing. And uh, with, sometimes when I collaborate with other writers, um, it's difficult to achieve that trust, understandably, because we've had a long history. Yeah. And, you know, by now, of course, I would be insulted if he didn't trust me. But, you know, trust isn't something that just the director says, oh, trust me, <laughs> watch out, yeah. because that's, that's a real sign of danger. Trust has to be earned, and it has to be earned uh, moment by moment. It begins with talking about what is the play about, and if you exactly. can explain that clearly, and then if you collaborate in the casting and you see that you're wanting the same kind of actors or, you know, the same, uh, you're going the same place, then that trust uh, comes and, and is built. And I've had that experience with uh, many other writers besides Lanford, but none of them, you know, just so absolutely satisfyingly uh, complete. Uh, William Hoffman and I collaborated yeah, very, very successfully well, a couple yeah, times. Yeah. Larry Kramer and I collaborated very well with uh, actually with some that. of Lanford himself. Um, <laughs> so you know, Jules Pfeiffer was great during rehearsal. We just had a great time together. And then what happened? Yeah. It was after that. <laughs> Uh, what is the experience working with other directors? It was, it was very funny. I, when you asked that question, I was thinking, uh, Purple Rose Theater, Jeff Daniels Theater in Chelsea, Michigan, Michigan, commissioned me to write a play for them. And he swears he didn't say this, but I, I was there and I heard it and he did. He said, we, we would like it to be a Midwest play, if you could, because we do mainly Midwest writers about Midwest topics and not a tally's play. And he swears he didn't say not a, not a play about the tallies, but he was there and I heard it. And I was there and I heard it. Um, and uh, so in order to do that, I've been writing plays for circle rep actors. And I didn't know their company at all. And they didn't know what a commission was supposed to be. And it was so enormous that I couldn't possibly have turned it down. Now, what Jeff thinks is I was so in love with their theater that I couldn't possibly turn it down. <laughs> anyway, I went there about, it's in Michigan, as I said, and I, and I, I don't fly, so I take the train, it's overnight. And uh, so I saw, every time I was there, I saw, the, oh, it, was, it was great, the first time they were doing 11 short plays and with various casts, I mean, with almost the whole company in it, so I saw a whole range of their company, and it was it was really a, a it, was, it was really a you know a, an exciting experience because they have a lot of very talented actors there, uh, and uh, and then then there was the next day a reading of the next play that they were going to do with the actors that were going to be in it, and so over the course of about five trips there, I saw just just about every actor in their company, and. I still couldn't write anything. I, 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 just, I just didn't think of anything. So they ended up doing, uh, 
they ended up doing uh, Hot Al Baltimore because they had promised their uh, audience, they don't have subscribers to start, uh, they had promised their audience uh, a Lambert Wilson play. So Jeff, the first time ever, directed uh, Hot Al Baltimore. And I mean, the first time ever he had directed at his own theater. He hadn't appeared in his own theater either. And he's not the artistic director, he's the executive director. And about six months after that, God, was it good, by the way. It was really good. Uh, I should say the first act was really good. <laughs> uh, and uh, I realized that I did have a story, and it could easily be in, in, uh, set in the Midwest. I mean, it would be better set in the Midwest. I had, uh, I had thought of the story for... Uh, no, that's a different play. I had thought of the story, uh, and then saw a book and well I thought of the story of, of what if the, the second lead and all right we're in a small town that has a community theater and the girl who usually plays the second lead in the musicals uh, auditions for Shaw's St. Joan and what if she got the part what would that do to her and, you know, and she, it turns out she's a very good actress and didn't know. And no one else in town knew. And what would that do to her? And what would, if she had a transformation from experiencing St. Joan, what would that do to the town and her marriage and et cetera, et cetera? And so that set out about a mystery. And anyway, I had that idea. And... Uh, and then I, I saw a book called Playing St. Joan. Playing Joan. And said, oh, hell, it's already been done. I bought the book, and it wasn't like that at all. But for some reason, it, you know, it was just interviews with people who had played St. Joan. They didn't say one word about how it had affected them in their lives, just, you know, how difficult the play was and what they'd done in it. Uh, and for some reason, I put the book back on the shelf, and the idea just went right out of my head, and, you know, so one day I was looking at books to be read, or books I've half finished, that a very long shelf, and uh, said, oh my God, I do have, a, I do have a, the idea for a play. And, uh, and it can easily be set in the Midwest. And then the play took off. It took off very quickly. I'm glad That's, you brought that up, because I wanted to get to Book of Days. <laughs> That's Book of Days, which opens Sunday. Which opens Sunday. Yeah. 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 All the big guns were there last night. Oh, they were? Yeah. Well, I'm free then. So right? we're, yeah, we're, we're happy now, and we're free. Yeah. yeah. Who cares? Um, a very interesting question, actually, um, which uh, I would like to hear your answer, which is, the storm is such a big thing in the play. Uh, for those those of you who will see, you will see this. There's, there's a tornado a, in the middle of the play. And yeah. there's no dialogue at all. No. So how, what, in terms of collaborating it and creating it, like for me, I know when people saw the revival of Mom and Gilead that we did at Circle Rep, people were talking about what a great production, what a great production, and I would say to them, it's all on Everything that was in that production, Lampton wrote. It was a beautiful production, but it's all on the page. This, it's not on the page. No. So how do you together, or do I you do it I said the storm together? comes and it's real terrible, and the, and and the makes tornado it sounds like a train. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> uh, it's a climax in play, by the way. Yeah. Or no, it's not. It's, it's a climax in the first half. And no one's on stage. No one's on stage. 
Um, but uh, how do you achieve that? Yeah. Well, for the, one thing, we had Chuck London. That the, most importantly, but uh, uh, sound designer. Actually, though, um, I, I think very important to it was the fact that although there's nothing described in the play other than just the stage direction, um, was uh, Lanford's experience of, of having been in the Midwest and and d being able to describe in some detail exactly what it was like, apart from what was actually written on the page. Also, I'd had experience uh, myself when I was a kid in Texas of seeing uh, tornadoes and seeing what they could do. And um, the combination of those things plus having Chuck London and, and uh, Chuck designed uh, the sound in a way that was just so extraordinary, everything happened. And by the way, it's not just Chuck, because as no, you'll see when you see also, it, yeah. the lighting and designer. the and and the set designer, the set designer uh, John Lee yeah. Beatty, the 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 three of them all combined in a in a way that's just uh, you know remarkable, uh, and it, it does bring the experience of a tornado right in front of you. I hope, and uh, you know, I it's it's a collaboration, but it's a collaboration really more with the designers, with the yeah. you know I knowing what I've got to achieve. Uh, it's an extremely important moment in the play. It's the in a way the big payoff in the first act. You've yeah. got to have that, or otherwise you haven't got anything. And and uh, putting together the, the 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 people and guiding them through it until yeah. and saying mostly what louder, louder, yeah. louder. Chuck, louder, mostly louder. Louder. Yeah. I want louder. Uh, louder, more lightning, more you know. Yeah. And 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 you know and then ultimately what the design, what the director does, as you well know. You know, you have the sound designer, you have the set designer, you have the lighting, but the director is the one who says, I want the thunder at this point, and then I want the flaps to go, and then I want the rain to come in, you know? Yeah. And so the, and, the designers know, are there. And, thing falls from the ceiling halfway down, and I can't see it because it's so not I want lightning, light and I want lightning at that moment so I can see it. Yeah. So ultimately, uh, you know, the, the, the whole tornado is designed, in a sense, by the director using the palette, uh, the colors that are on the palette, which is the designers and what they bring to it. Yeah. So one, there are a lot of things. One critic in, uh, in, uh, in, when we were in Hartford said, and uh, with no one on stage, a better tornado than anything in Twister. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. I have one more question about, or do you want to ask a question? Okay. Um, which is also for the directors, I guess, but for everybody. Um, Here's the list. This play is far less naturalistic than Burn This, Tally's Folly, or Fifth of July. How is the rehearsal process different from those kinds of shows? Was it? I don't really think it was. Uh, except that, the, you know, my rehearsal process is pretty much, as you know, Tanya, I, I do the same thing all the time. Yeah. Uh, my rehearsal process depends on, first of all, uh, you can answer that. <laughs> I'm a great believer in, in dividing the play into beats uh, of action and then uh, naming those beats as to what it is that happens within that beat so that the actors are directed before they've even heard a word from you. It's on the scene chart, it's on the division. You know, they think in terms of the units and therefore you have begun to direct the play. Uh, and then I the use widow's that song. One of the beats is called, you know, widow song. Yeah. After a, a death in the family. And uh, and then I use that uh, that division to beats to create and structure a rehearsal schedule, in which I spend about 20% on research. Uh, Lanford talked about our going to 
uh, interview people and going you know, on field trips, and we also do improvisations. We do um, we had a wonderful improvisation on, on Book of Days in which uh, uh, we took it back three years before the play begins. Walt, who's the main character, it is said in the play, has had a heart attack. So <laughs> unbeknownst to everybody else, I told the actor, okay, have your heart attack. And, uh, and, and he did. He fell down and started. And of course, it was such a moment of reality. All the, other, all the actors who'd been in before said, oh, fuck, I knew this wasn't a good idea. <laughs> they thought they had lost their main man. And, uh, you know, improvisation does a wonderful thing. It gives you experience that you could not possibly have in any intellectual way. And that's what improvisations are so valuable. Um, anyway, and shared experience, exactly, because you can create on your own, but when you do it together, it's remarkable. It happens, and, it, and you can never get rid of it. And there's no such thing as a bad improvisation. It, it's whatever happens. Yeah. Uh, and then when the actors talk about those moments, of course, they're all talking about the same moment because they've experienced it. Exactly. So, you know, at the beginning of Three Sisters, when Olga says, uh, Father died a year ago today on the 5th of May, you were in your birthday, uh, and you fainted on the floor, you know, uh, if you've improvised that moment, then they've all experienced that moment and can relate to the same memory. Uh, anyway, 20% on that, and then uh, I spend about the next uh, maybe 30, 40% maybe on what I call discovering movement, because people call it blocking, but to me that's just such an isolated, you know, cold term. Uh, to me it's discovering movement in collaboration with the actors. Uh, I require my actors to learn their lines before we take on a beat of action. Not the whole play, but if this is scheduled for today, we're going to cover four pages, and that's all we're going to cover today. Learn the lines before you do it. I, I call it rehearsing movie style in a way, because if you've ever worked on a movie, you know the actors come knowing their lines. You, you don't have time to waste, you know. And I feel the theater's the same way. We don't have time to waste with actors walking around with a script, and how am I going to find how they should move if they're holding a script in their hands? You're holding a script in your hands, you should sit down and read, because that's the comfortable way to, you know, to hold a script. So 40% um, of the time, 40 or, or percent maybe on, on uh, uh, discovering the movement and, and really going at it in depth until w w between the director is spotting the actor's impulses. And also there's a triangulation in, in, uh, in coming up with what is good staging. The triangulation has to do with the impulses that you see in the actor. The organic impulses that you see. I need to move, okay? Secondly, what does the script itself require? If the script says, you know, she goes to the window, she's got to go to the window, you know. So if you see the actor's impulse to go to the window and you know that the, script, the stage director is there and she must go to the window, you know, you've got two-thirds of it. The third thing, of course, the third part of that triangulation is the audience. What does the audience need in this moment to understand and appreciate and fully uh, experience the play? So in that triangulation between the actor's <coughs> impulse, the needs of the play, and the perception of the audience, the director is the one who uh, tabulates all that and evaluates the three balls up in the air all at the same time and says, let's try this. Why don't you go there? And I try not to work in terms of stage directions like, you know, move stage left or stage right. I say, go to the window. I say, have a drink. You know, I, I say things like that usually when I can and direct in, in terms of the, within the uh, actor's world. And then uh, 
I spend the, probably the next 20% of rehearsal doing what I would call improving the performance because uh, there are a lot of exercises that I do, uh, some of it based on uh, Sanford Meisner's work and uh, uh, others just, I don't know, you've all done the Italian run-through, I'm sure, you know, doing it at double speed or triple speed or whatever, no pauses at all. Uh, doing uh, the, the play as if you were speaking a foreign language, sing the play as if it were an opera. You know, I do all these weird things after they've got, you know, the whole play down and they're, but instead of run-throughs, which is what so many directors do, just, you know, block it and then run it, run it, run it, run it, run it. I don't think you gain very much from that. So I work in a very different way, a very slow way. I work on very patiently with the actors. I keep constantly saying, don't give me the result. I want you to explore. We're going to do the play, you know, in four weeks. At that point, we'll get a result. Let's not think about that now. Let's think about why do you say this? Why do you want to move there? What's going on here? What did she mean by that? You know, and so forth. Try to explore the play in, in, in its greatest depths. And, um, and once we've really done that, then we can screw around with it by singing it or, or doing it twice as fast or what have you. And finally, you know, surprisingly, uh, my schedule really only calls usually for about two or three run-throughs maximum before the first tech rehearsal. And then we do tech for a week. Yeah. You know, we've all been through I'm that. I'm not there for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's horrible. And, uh, but you know, and, and it, sometimes it takes an hour to get through the first cue, you know, because I have to have it just the way I want it and I'll rehearse it until I get it the way I want it. And then we'll go into the second cue, you know. Eventually it starts rolling a little faster I never go cue to cue in tech. I don't believe in it because I think by the time you go from, you say, okay, we're going to pick it up on page 73. By the time everybody figures out, okay, where's page 73? What do I say? Where are, they? And where are the cops? And, you know, by the time they figure all that out, you could have done the whole scene. And the tech is not just for the technicians. It's also for the actors. The actors have to know every moment, do I have what I need here? Have I got the prop I need? Where's my light? You know, all, all that stuff has to be experienced by the actors as well. The and tech, the backstage people. Yeah, of course. And so it's not just uh, it's not just for the technicians. It's it's for everybody. So um, the tech is, of course, finally horrible. But the important thing is to get it before an audience, which is the final learning experience, where you the audience feeds you back so much information as to what you've done well and what you've done wrong, and you know you see where they're asleep, you see where they're not getting it, you know, you, you watch the audience and yeah, and you try to, to make adjustments. I hate previews <laughs> because, you know, I want to think my work is done when the previews start. And, you know, because the way I work and, and the time that I put into all that initial uh, exploration, it usually pretty much is. I don't do a lot of rehearsals after previews start. You know, I think on, the, on Brook of Days we've had maybe three in the no, three weeks five you know it was it was more no. than i expected from you and then in my experience those rehearsals are mainly for changing in the script or the you know what is that maybe your collar oh it's touching something i think yeah okay no it's touching the leg of the chair okay very sorry about that uh but then i felt it too right? it has it, it has all kinds of things though I mean, it's not just changing the script. It's you know, it's refining. It's making things better. But uh, in this last production, as a matter of fact, with uh, or latest, I think, latest, latest production, uh, I uh, 
I, I, my, my schedule, which I so carefully worked out, you know, and then you only call actors, by the way, in the schedule when they're working, so that you respect their work. And if they're not called, they're supposed to be working on the play, but on their own. You know, they're supposed to be doing their field trips or learning their lines or whatever it is they do when they're not in rehearsal. But it's not time off. It's time for them to do the work they need to do so that when they come to rehearsal, they're yours and they're totally prepared and committed and so forth. Never as actors sitting around watching other people do very, very rarely. It's, it's just a, a terrible thing to do to actors. It's so, so disrespectful of, of their time. And um, so as a result of, of, of putting in that, that effort uh, early on and being patient with the actors and not looking for results, um, I find that by the time we get to previews, I'm, I'm usually pretty much where I want it to be. I was going to say this particular rehearsal period, however, I didn't get to the last scene. <laughs> the whole it's not last the scene. only time. No, but, but this, this, is a big, this is a big one because this is a, the last scene maybe takes 10 minutes to play. Yeah, it's one of the longest scenes. One of the longest scenes in the play. And uh, fortunately, I knew the actors, the two actors had already, we'd already done it in St. Louis and Hartford. So three years ago, these two actors did the scene. I knew that they could do it in their sleep. I wasn't really, really deeply worried, but we had re-explored every other moment of the play. We had really, you know, I, I just cut through their bullshit and said, you know, you're doing it like you did before. I want to know why you're doing it. I want to know what this is. So I, I was really hard on them. I made everybody rediscover, re-explore uh, from what they did three years before, except on the last scene. So with the last scene, we just threw it up, did it, because uh, we had no time. And it was only uh, after uh, a week of previews and a week and two days of previews that I called a rehearsal and said, uh, I have to rehearse the, the last scene. This is the actors were, one of the actors was furious with me. The other one was desperately wanted, wanted the rehearsal. And the, and other the rest did. of the cast wanted it, too. Yeah, exactly. They had so, seen the same thing you'd seen. I've times like that when, when we haven't gotten to the last scene. And, it's, and we're doing the last scene in front of the first preview audience. Yeah. And, and I have to tell you that all of that patient work, so much of the time, especially the first time around, you get to the last scene and you're there. Yeah. It's really, neat. I mean, I'm sure you, it would be nice to block it and light it. No, but no. no it, it, I, I was going to. First rehearsals, uh, the first part of the play requires a lot more rehearsal than the last part of the play. Yeah. If you've done it truly and, and logically, and if, the, and if you can trust the play. If the playwright has written a true play, uh, and you can really trust it, and you really spend the time to, to get at the beginning of the journey, and you spend time to learn step by step what it is, by the time you get through to the end, it, it, it's logically there. I It'll said about you. Mound Builders, because uh, I was so late in delivering the second act, Marshall said, I can't wing this much longer, Lanford. I'm, you know, we've gone on field trips, we've read books, we've done everything. You know. And I said, you know, uh, but I really thought that they were so good in the first act. They knew so well who they were, they could just almost damn well improvise the second act <laughs> because they knew who they were. And they, you know, they didn't know what was going to happen to them. I had a few surprises. But Marsh, I loved what Marshall said about how, how he works, but he didn't say something else. He's one of, the, one of the most beautiful blockers on earth. And I have one of my favorite examples. Uh, in Angel's Fall, we're in a, we're in a chapel in in uh, New Mexico. In Mexico. In New Mexico. And uh, huge, thick, huge, thick walls, huge, thick windows, and the light coming in. And uh, 
Nancy Snyder, who was, uh, she was about, what, 25 then? Yeah. 25, 26, playing the wife of, of, a former, of, of her former professor. Fritz Weaver. Yeah. Just gorgeous, gorgeous. And she kept wearing, uh, to rehearsal, the, these uh, skirts that are, are, are very full and, and like silk, and they just sort of laid over this little model's belly that she had. And when she walked, it was just, oh, God, she's so incredibly graceful. And so they're saying goodbye to two characters who have been, well, Tanya and, and uh, Brian Tarantino. And Brian Tarantino, who are, uh, are driving off and they're honking and it gets further in the distance. And Nancy has said, you know, I love him. He reminds me of my brother. It's like the third time she said it. And so I had her in my mind at the window, sort of in the back of the chapel, looking out stage right. And, uh, and then, then there's a pause, and she says, it is so beautiful here. And we're very close to the end of the play. We're within 10 lines of the end of the play. And uh, so it was logical that after they left, she's looking out the window. And downstage left, there are two big doors open to the outside. And, and she started to say that line, and Marshall said, Nancy, I'm sorry, could you turn back to them and look out the doors downstage left instead of upstage right? Because I just have to see you walk across that stage one more time. <laughs> <laughs> and so she's weaving in and out of those benches that are in the church. You know, and of course, it was one of those gorgeous moments you've ever seen in your life as she's saying, it's so beautiful here, and walking, one of the most beautiful things you've ever seen in your life, walking over to the door. So he's, he's very, very clever about that sort of thing. Clever isn't the word, artistic. When I was very young, I, I uh, used to uh, be very aware of the fact that I wasn't the greatest stager in the world, because I really worked from an organic in, internal I was, uh, place. And I was very aware that actors loved me Playwrights loved me because I respected their work and just tried to do what their play was saying. But audiences had no idea what I was doing <laughs> because uh, I didn't really pay any attention to the staging. And early in my youth, I, I, I was able, fortunately here in New York, to uh, have the great uh, pleasure of seeing Ellis Rabb, the great Ellis Rabb, yeah. uh, direct for um, uh, the Phoenix uh, APA yeah. Theater. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember particularly his War and Peace and... and uh, Oh gosh, all kinds of things. Uh, uh, well, you can't uh, take, you it, with can't you. take you. it with you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, great, yeah. great productions, and Rosemary nobody could stage. Nobody could stage like Ellis. Ellis, I mean, you know, I, I just sat there in awe and said, you know, I'll never, ever, ever be able to to do that. Um, if you live long enough, <laughs> you might learn a little something yeah. eventually, you know. But it, it, that, that's that was the last thing that came in for me was any idea of the really? physical, yeah, mm -hmm. picture. I now paint. I love to paint. It's my hobby. And now I have a much greater appreciation of uh, you know, the stage picture. But I, I, I don't start with that. And, and in fact, uh, I rely on my instincts with that. I don't pre-plan any of that at all. Uh, I just, uh, you know, at the spur of the moment, I'll say to the actor, okay, go over there. Uh, oh, uh, oh, what if, you know, this happens and, you know, and, yeah. and then I say, oh, that looks good, you know, yeah. or, or wait a minute, but, you know, it should be the other way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, very often something like, uh, I think that that made you rather warm. I think you should go open 
open a window. <laughs> you know, I, that was that was rather heated. I think you should go open a window or, or open the door you know, and look out or something like that. So it, it, it's really organic, but but still, it's very beautiful now. But then he'd already learned that by the time I, I, I you know, he got around to me. So I thought he always had to. Yeah, uh, we're going yeah, to ask a question. Would ask, would you, do you have some questions that you'd like to ask of Marshall and Ralph? We regret that this question was inaudible on the original master tapes. We're going to go directly to the answer. Yeah, the answer is yes, of course. Uh, if, if you direct long enough, you will come across an adversarial actor. Uh, I must say, uh, blessedly few of them. Uh, blessedly few. And the most difficult one, if I may be so bold as to go public with this, uh, probably was uh, John Malkovich. Uh, John was is a, is a great actor and. I found myself in, tele, in uh, uh, Burn This in the difficult position of being unable to control, uh, even to suggest maybe sometimes the things I wanted. Uh, I would say to John, why don't you go over and, you know, over by the window and look up where Robbie Bloft was, and he would do anything but that. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was difficult uh, after a while, and there were a couple of uh, intense moments. Uh, one of the things, oh, uh, the specific thing was... <laughs> You're thinking the same thing yeah, John, John, John had to get dressed really fast. He was given the stage directions yep. that he, he was, uh, he's, he came out you know, with very little clothes on and he had to get dressed. And, and he's, he, and he's a sharp dresser. He has to, everything has to be perfect by the time he leaves. And he's got only this much of a scene to do it. And he has to leave. He has to say, okay, I'm out of here. And he has to look really good by then. So John understood that this was a bit of a problem. So... He got his shoes on, and, and, and this is after the first night that he has spent with uh, Anna. Yeah. They've just made love for the first time, you know, and we have to sort of believe that this is a relationship that's worthwhile in some way. And John, with, John had a problem, however, which was to get dressed quickly. And so he got his shoes on and went to her. And, she, and Joan... He's trying his time. Yeah, Joan, being the cooperative actress that she is, went... <laughs> and so she came over and tied his shoes. On and, and her knees. On her knees, shoes. tying his shoes. And I went mad. I kept saying, you oh, cannot I do this. This is horrible. This oh. is, you can't imagine how disgusting this moment is. It's disgusting, John. It just, you know, it might well have happened. It might well have happened in life, and it means nothing. But on stage, things mean something. That's right. And it was abject subjection you know it was, it was horrible. just horrible and so it was very difficult uh, uh, for him not we, to do uh, you know I, I had to work one of the best performances I had ever seen in my life it was great work and our rehearsal you know I have to claim part of the credit for it I, you know yeah because you know I had been there creating with him and it was, a, it was a collaborative effort. He didn't just do it on his own. I, God, no. we, we got there together. But I had created a Frankenstein monster. I couldn't control it in any way. And uh, he, he was... Early uh, on, it wasn't so bad. It was great early on, on, yeah. on the it was contrary. damn good early when, on. When we did it in Los Angeles, it was truly remarkable. It was an ensemble in Los Angeles. Yeah. That's right. Uh, it was long, but it was... Yeah. <laughs> but, but by the time, and it was, you know... Two, two years elapsed, right? Or yeah. a year and a half elapsed. Yeah, two years. 
because uh, we were going to bring it to Broadway, and he got a his first movie, Spielberg. his first really big movie with Spielberg, and yeah. they were going to pay him a million dollars, and he couldn't turn that down, the whore. And, uh, <laughs> and so we had six months where he was off making a movie. And, and then something else came up, and then finally we're at, at Steppenwolf for a month or so, maybe more. And then a, a layoff for a while. We're in New York and in the Bennett uh, space because he could only be there for two no, weeks. No, we came after. directly. The Bennett space was immediately after Los Angeles. After, we came right after, after Los Angeles. No, after, after Chicago. After Los Angeles, we came directly from Los Angeles here. Anyway, and a year later we went in, back into rehearsal. Then because he had another goddamn movie, uh, and, and, and we, he could only be in it three weeks. And we, we had that four, and we went to that space because we had a lot of subscribers, and we only had 160 seats, and Bennett has uh, 400 or whatever. And, uh, and then there's another damn layoff before we got to Broadway. And by the time we got to Broadway, there was he knew what he was doing, and he was going to do it. And you would suggest that he is too big in this moment? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But... It when he went on stage, he paid no attention to anything you had said at all. So it was difficult. Yeah, so that was it, it is the answer. And, and the serial was exactly the word. And, it, and it's often difficult. And, you know, I don't know what to tell you except that I try to uh, inspire in my actors the belief that we are working together, you know. Yeah. And so I don't experience that adversarial thing very often. I've worked with people from so many different fields. Irene Worth. Jonathan Price, you know, uh, uh, John Strasberg, I mean, you know, the yeah. whole range of, uh, bless her heart, uh, Jessica Tandy, you know, some of the greatest actors that have ever lived on this earth. And they were all wonderfully cooperative and, uh, and very eager to work in the way that I was encouraging them to work and so forth. I never had any problems with any of them. Yeah. It was, uh, but, but, but every once in a while you will have that difficulty and it's, uh, I don't know how to tell you get over it except listen and try to be understanding of the actor's point of view and try to, um, you know, see if you can influence the, the actor to do what you have in mind for a good reason. Yeah. Maybe not your real reason, by the way. Yeah. Your real reason may be, I want you over there because I want the audience to see you. But if the actor is one of those people who hides from the audience, you can't really tell them that. You have to say, you have to be over there because you have to look out the window because, you know, out there is this thing happening. And, yeah. you know, so your, your true reason may not be the reason that you give the actor, but you have to be able to, to inspire the actor on his or her terms. Yeah, we had one just recently, yeah. had one just recently where uh, uh, the actor just, uh, Marshall said that we have to restage that scene because it's not true to the words. Yeah. And uh, we have to retime something. And the actor was so reluctant to do it, but really we understood that it was just nerves and fear. He is so terrified to, to make changes that uh, he, just, he just can't accept them because he's got such an inner track going. And uh, fortunately, the other 11 actors in the play, when he finally did it, uh, said, oh, God, that was so good. So we were buttressed all over the place. And, yeah. 
They're very different. Uh, I, I would. Okay, I, I recommend that you go to Lincoln Center, the, the Lincoln Center Library, and this is something, by the way, I have not done, so I don't know why I'm recommending it. It's very good. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, but there is uh, a tape of the John Malkovich, Joan Allen, the Liberatory, Jonathan Hogan, uh, burned this, that was made at the Michael Bennett Studios immediately after we came from Los Angeles. Uh, the play is too long. It had not been, we hadn't shaped it and cut it yet. So there's going to be too yeah. much play for you, but I I think the acting performances are probably pretty good. No, they're very good. No, and very good. Uh, the, the the big difference, uh, you know, Jim Houghton's production, which is so wonderful, I really admire it a lot, uh, has uh, uh, explored the pain of the loss of Robbie so much. It's it's. Uh, the morning is deeply, deeply celebrated. It's just soaked in grief. It, it is just soaked amazing. in grief. And uh, this was something that I was aware of in the play, and that I tried to get John Malkovich to do more of. But I, sir, I don't think I would ever have taken it as far as Jim did. No, I don't uh, think so. Jim, Jim. It's uh, 15 just, minutes longer. Yeah, he has a whole different take yeah. on the play than exactly 15 minutes longer, yeah. and darker. You can't see it as well. Uh, yeah. All kinds of, you know, I have problems. Yes, but. You know, it's very painful as a director, you know, oh, to, believe me, to go see anybody else's production of your work. Very, very difficult because you have, and you know, I had this experience, of course, with Guy Sandville, who had directed the original uh, production of... Uh, and Guy uh, just went, of, uh, Book of Days. believe it. Yeah, he he like, came to St. Louis and, and was not supportive at all. He kept saying, like, keep working on it, keep working on it. Keep working, Guy, keep working. Finally, Lambert said, would you shut up? It's the way I finally wanted it to be, you know. <laughs> So it's very funny when I was writing that I'd seen a lot of guys work, of course, and he's very choral and very group-oriented, and, and, and I knew exactly what he would do with the play, and I knew exactly what Marshall would do with the play, and they both did exactly that. And so I was writing it straight down the middle of, you can do it, you can go either way with this. Yeah. yeah. As an actor, I'm really interested in your thoughts on the casting process. Um, is it always... I do uh, generally uh, uh, have some ideas of, of people that I want to see in addition to who the casting director might bring, um, but uh, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to end up casting the people that I've said, oh, well, will you see, bring this person in. Um, the casting is about process for me, and I'm not sure that that's true of of all directors, but, but I can tell you, first of all, I think the audition process is so important to the eventual success of the director's vision. Some people say 90%, I think that's an exaggeration, but it's real important that you cast the right people. What are you looking for? Kazan calls it the inner river of experience. You want to see how that person relates to the script from his or her own personal experience, what they bring to it, what the, how they see the world, how they see this action, how they're going to approach it, in other words. So I look for process. I look for what does this person think about the role? What does this person, what, what, what are the questions? What are they looking for? What are they trying to achieve? And if, they're, if I see an actor trying to achieve reality, believability, you know, uh, as opposed to some kind of pre-thought idea, then I'm interested in their work as opposed to, you know, when an actor comes in and gives a really wonderful reading, but you think, 
that's set in concrete. I'll never be able to get through that as a yeah. director, you know. Yeah. So it isn't about the result. It's about the process for me. And I'm not looking so much for type as I'm looking for uh, the inner quality. Because I, I, I'm a great believer in, you know, you can dye the hair, you can put on a wig, you can use makeup, you can do... Actors can do the most amazing things. I talked about Jessica Tandy uh, a minute ago in the middle of my play uh, that I did with her, uh, uh, Foxfire. Uh, she became, a, you know, she was an old woman and she suddenly took off her bandana and was 16 years old. You know, and it's <laughs> astonishing, but acting can do that. So I don't care so much about the external. Uh, I do ask every at every audition. I ask actors how tall they are, because we uh, had an experience, we had an experience with that. I, I uh, when I cast Fifth of July initially, it was William Hurt and uh, Jeff Daniels and uh, Helen Stenborg and and uh, Nancy Snyder and Jonathan Hogan. And um, when we were going to do it on Broadway. Uh, Helen Sinborg, who played Aunt Sally, was not available. She was doing a play with her husband, Barney Hughes, at that point on Broadway. So she wasn't available. So in the meanwhile, uh, Bill Hurt was off making movies, so he wasn't available to do it. Also, he wasn't a big enough name to do it on Broadway at that point. So his friend and, and our good actor, Christopher Reeve, bless his heart, came in to, uh, to, uh, to, to do, do the play. Part, yeah. And um, Chris, uh, you know, Bill is about 6'3", and Chris is about 6'4". Five. I don't know. Six, a, six, I think. Yeah, yeah he's a, there's a couple inches difference. Bill, Bill uh, is not that tall. Bill is six one. Six. Oh, he's yeah. I asked one or two. I remember asking. Anyway, there's a there's a there was like this much difference. There's a there's a two or three inch difference and for sure. And um, meanwhile, I didn't have Helen, who is about what five seven. Yeah. Yeah. She's and tall. she's a tall woman. And uh, and I took the best reading that I had without thinking about height. And it was an actor named Gosh, Mary. Mary is right. Mary. Mary is right. What? No, no. no. no, no. Mary, Mary, I can't think of her last name. Carver. Anyway, Carver. Mary Carver, Mary thank Carver. you. Way and she, she was about five feet tall. Yeah. <laughs> and when I got them on stage next to each other, Christopher Reeve was six feet four, and Mary was about five feet, and she was playing his aunt, and it, they didn't look like the same species. true. <laughs> and, and I got to the point, I could not go see the play. I couldn't bear to see it because I'd made this horror. They were wonderful actors, but they tended to say I just, things like, no, I can't watch that dwarf. I can't. <laughs> Eventually, we recast the play with Richard Thomas, and yeah. Richard, who is much, much more human-sized than yeah. Chris, uh, they made a, and once Richard went into it, I could go and see it again because Mary Carver could be his aunt and it was no problem. Yeah. So I always ask actors, how tall are you? And I keep very careful track of that because I, I just want to make sure. You don't make if, that if, mistake if could, again. Yeah. yeah, but if you go see Book of Days, you're going to see a very tall woman. Oh, several she, of them. She's, but, but that's the key. There's one very tall woman that I've been wanting to work with for 20 years. Uh, her name is uh, Susan Kellerman. And she is, uh, I've admired her for so many years. She's very tall. And every time I've auditioned her, I've said, I love her. I can't use anybody that tall. This time around, I said, you know what? I think I can get away with this yeah, because Nancy Snyder, Nancy Snyder is, is, is like very tall. 5'11 five, five or something like that. So, and several of the men are, are, are yeah, over they're all six. six. Yeah, are over six Ex eight. Except for when she's with uh, her, her son. son and daughter-in-law, where she's about this much taller than yeah. that. Anyway. Um, I was curious, is there a play that you would like to do one direct again? Now, I think it is 
Yeah. 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 No. I, uh, one of my favorite plays of Lanford's is uh, Serenading Louis, and I, I, I did the play twice. And the way I work through a play, I go so moment by moment, uh, not thinking about where it's going, but thinking about how the moments are developing. <laughs> and I got to the, the, the point in the second act when um, I was directing the actor. This is in Chicago with Lindsey Cross playing uh, Gabby and Tony Roberts playing uh, Alex. And uh, I got to the point where, where uh, what's his name? Not, not Alex, the other one, uh, Carl. Carl. Carl goes to the, I said, okay, now uh, to the actor. I said, okay, you go to the, to the closet there. Okay, good. You bring up the shotgun. Okay, now you go up the stairs. Oh my God, he's going to kill her. There's nothing I can do to stop it. <laughs> And I just had such an emotional trauma from that. I said, "You'd forgotten it completely." I mean, I and I, you just feel so helpless. I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I said, "I can never do this play again. Yeah. I, I can only. I'm gonna. Okay, now that I know he's killing her, you know, I'll see it through to the end. But I can't do this play again. I love the play a lot, but I, I don't want to go there again. Yeah. Um, I feel that way about most of the plays that I've done with Lanford, uh, except. The one I'd like to I'd like to do Hotel Baltimore again. I would really enjoy that because it's been a long time since I've done it, and it was a very special play when we when you did it the first time. Yeah. And lovely experience, and and that was it, the first play I wrote for the company. Yeah, and it's a, it's a lovely play, and I, I'd like to do that one again. That's about the only one I can think of. Uh, I have a question for the both of you um, because speaking of Hotel Baltimore, uh, you're known for these large productions with the company. Huge productions, hundreds of characters, um, <laughs> and definitely now there's not you don't see that really at all. And I wonder if you feel that it's just purely economics. Yeah, yeah, it's purely economics. It's very sad, but it's true. Yeah, um, it, it, it is economics. I'm, I'm pretty sure that it inhibits. It's the self-inhibiting that the playwright goes through. The self-censoring. You think. You know, there's no point in my writing a big play because it won't be done. So if I write yeah. a two or three it's character, affecting. five character play, it'll get done. It's affecting. It, it's affecting everything. Uh, I was so angry when producers came to uh, Hartford to see uh, Book of Days. Book yeah. of Days with twelve characters in it, and they would say, "Oh, it's just too much. With twelve characters, we have to do it on Broadway, and there are no big names, and the can't. You know, there's just no way. We, you know." And then I would go see. Uh, one of the revivals of Miller or whatever, you know, Tennessee uh, Wins. Tennessee Wins, Death of a Salesman, uh, not Death of a no, Death of a Salesman. The uh, uh, the what's the waiting for left, waiting for lefty? No, the waiting. The Iceman cometh. Yeah, with 35, 40 people, yeah. characters in it, you know, and a limited run, and you know they were playing the you know playing the star. Uh, in both of them a lot, and I just got so damn angry, you know, uh, but it's a mindset that that producers have, and especially on a new play, you know, it has to be a revival of something that people want to see, and probably it's been done in London recently, and, you know, uh, and... Uh, the, the difficulty with doing Hot is that there are 17 characters, and, you know, as much as I would like to do it, I, believe me, I don't get offers from regional theaters saying, oh, would you like to do Hot Elf no. They're always saying, how about doing Tally's Folly? Tally's Folly. <laughs> Two characters. Two characters, right. And, and, go ahead. Yeah. So I, um, the three of you have found one another family 
exploration off off Broadway years ago. I was just wondering what you how you feel about off off Broadway now. Do you find inspiration there or where do you find I think the theater has changed a great deal since I was uh, in my 20s. Uh, and I think in many ways it's changed for the better, surprisingly, uh, for a different voice, I'm sure. Um, because there were so few opportunities when we arrived. And we created Off Off Broadway because there wasn't the opportunity. Now the opportunity, at least for Off Off Broadway, is, is there. Somebody asked me recently, do you think there'll have to be an Off 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 Broadway? Because and you know, I think off off is is far enough because yeah, it covers everything. Everything yeah. that is not a union contract, you know, uh, it can be from a vanity production to you know experimental something that you in a coffee shop, to you know uh, substantial serious artistic work. Um, I, I so I think there is more opportunity now than there was when we got here. Uh, but I also think that there. The commercial theater has changed so enormously that, um, and, and that I feel a lot of these so-called grassroots experimental, what would have been the cappuccino or the La Mama uh, back in the old days, is now geared toward success and toward uh, you know achieving recognition and so forth, which is, believe it or not, not what we were after. We were just after trying to create something good. Yeah. And I, I don't know that that's as common today. There's a new company, uh, Labyrinth is their name, uh, that I've just read about. I haven't seen their work. Can't wait to see it because at least what the, what's described in the press at least sounds like, you know, these people are serious and they're really trying to do something. And I'm very can't wait to see their work. There are there are, there are uh, there are examples of, of people who have done the sort of thing that. That, that we did and, and been successful and moved proof and uh, uh, rent and, and so on. You know, started off off. Sure. And uh, but they're, they're fewer and far farther between. Uh, you're in town, you know. But I also think that, as Marshall said, that's becoming the old New Haven. Yeah. That off off Broadway right. is, is yeah. where plays are tried you out. You can't get a, uh, get a play off off Broadway today unless you have a star. Exactly. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think there are more opportunities at the bottom, but there are less opportunities at the top for weighty, important work and for supporting the major artists of the American theater on an ongoing way. And I think that's been, that has been narrowing and narrowing and narrowing yeah. as, we've, as we've been creating more and more tourist theater. Yeah. So there was Broadway and then Off-Broadway, and now there's major work being done off-off-Broadway for no money whatsoever. So it's become the out-of-town tryout. And there are, there are occasionally uh, regional theaters that do some uh, work, yeah. but regional theaters, so many of them also, I think, have their, have their eye on you know, popularity and you know, what's going to sell. Very often, yeah. But uh, I'm thinking about... Uh, Thinking about Book of Days, I I I, uh, I can't imagine it moving even you know even even now even today I I, I just can't. Well, imagine. try. Yeah. <laughs> it opens Sunday. I will see. It opens Sunday. We'll see Monday when I have to go to the doctor and have a camera stuck down my throat. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not going to read the papers before I do that. Good idea. Uh, yeah. Uh, talk. You know. Can you say bark it right back up again? Uh, 
it, I was saying, I was just thinking that, well, of course, I'm very pessimistic, but, but uh, it's, it's as good as Marshall and I have ever been. As good as I've ever been, as good as Marshall's ever been. Well, I'm afraid that's true. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I just have a... I, if they don't like it, I'm going to be so humiliated. Yeah. Because it's, uh, it's, so this is as good as we do it, and yeah. if they don't like it, I'm really bummed. Yeah. We have two old circle reps. Ask me on Monday, <laughs> you know, what I think of the American theater today, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was very moved. I, I saw the play, and I was very moved by... Um, I was excited about it, because it's why I go to the theater. I left there feeling so had so much feeling for each of the characters in, in the piece. It's just as beautiful. And I encourage you all to go. I'm Thank glad you put it that way. Thank you. But my question is about, um, could you talk a little bit more about the cutting and the shaping of the play? How, I, I have a person I'm working very collaboratively with. Um, and unfortunately, we, we are not part of a theater company. So I've had, I want you to speak about two things about how, uh, like, do you go to rehearsal, do you do it, yeah. and within... I, he said all the rehearsals, if I can, you know... How do you deal with it? When do you have to deal with it in a business way? Because now, as an independent director, um, you're not so likely to go with the piece. I mean, I'm, I'm taking no. care of that for myself, but... Let me say one thing about, about cutting, cutting, and, cutting and, and changing the script. If you don't believe that it's going to be good enough to artistically be successful without a single change in it. Do not go into rehearsal because you may be working with a playwright like O'Neill yeah. or Aldi who says, that's it. that's it, I did my work, now you do yours. And they may not have the name of O'Neill or Albee, but they may be of that mindset. And unless you believe that the play is going to succeed artistically on your own terms, without a single change, don't go into rehearsal. Yeah. Now, one, if you believe that you're going to be okay with it, if it doesn't change, and you can establish a relationship with your writer to say, look, you don't need that line because the actor is so clear here. Yeah. You know, uh, on the page, this makes sense, but, but when the actor does it, we don't need it. Uh, cutting is, is a, a very important uh, dramaturgical service that I think the director uh, ought to take uh, the responsibility for in a very serious way. What is far more difficult than cutting is if something is missing. And you oh have boy. to say, well, you know, there's something here. I don't quite know how we get from here to here, and can't you write that? That's uh, that's much much harder. Sometimes you know it, it's yeah, amazing. In Tally's Folly, for definitely. Yeah. I, but I, I come up with stuff. Uh, I say. Fall, definitely. I, I say to Lanford, you know, it ought to be like this, 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 and this. Lanford say, mm -hmm, okay, okay. He'll go home and he'll come back with something totally different. Completely different. Yeah. Than, but addressing, you know, my solution sucks. <laughs> but but by saying my solution, I point out what the problem is, and then he solves it in a totally different way much better than I ever dreamed it could be. So it is collaborative, you know, in, in the back and forth, and, 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 and uh, as I said, it, it, trust based on experience. If, if, the, if you can tell the writer what the play is about, and the writer can trust you as a result, then you may not have as much difficulty getting uh, the cooperation that you seek, you know. But I, I'm easy. I listen. 
to, uh, to criticism. I want to know what someone got, and if they didn't get what I intended them to get, I have to find a way for, they, for them to get that. And the first, uh, the first draft of, of 5th of July, we had, uh, when we read it, fabulous actors, all of them, and, uh, oh, what, seven or eight of them, and uh, we had the first reading, and there were about 40 people there, and we were getting ready to go in rehearsal, and, and uh, 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 took a poll. We took a poll. We just said, how many people understood that she was, you know, her, her uh, daughter? Four people in the show. Oh, shit. How many people knew that this was, this is a play about an English teacher, essentially, who was afraid to go back to teaching? Six or eight, you know. And so I, I went back and just redid the whole damn thing. And actually, a year later, when we moved to the Mark Taper Forum, I redid it again because even as we got it on, uh, Gwen, one of the funniest characters I've ever written, was stealing the damn show. And I cut lines that were hysterically funny that just brought down the house because she just ain't supposed to do that. It's just one of those characters was so much fun to write that I just went, you know, I just let her swamp the my, funny, my intention. Funny thing is, though, you know, if you have a page and the author and the director agree, okay, we've got to cut six lines. Yeah. Six lines. Oh, over. I will cut these six lines, and Lanford will cut the, the other, other six <laughs> lines. The other six lines. And, over uh, and over again. And, and usually I say, you know what, you're right. I remember one time we said, we don't need these four words. And I said, no, I've got to have it. I just absolutely have because it was poetry or something. It was beautiful, you know. And I said, no, I've, I don't know what play. That was Angel's Fall, I think. Uh, no, I've just got to have it. Okay, you've got to have, you know, extra moment there that we don't need, but I needed, I needed, I needed to hear that, that interior rhyme or whatever it was. I just needed to hear it. Are we running out of time? Well, we, got, we all got curtains to go to. I, I would like to... Uh... Again, this is Susan Stroman, and thank you for listening to Masters of the Stage, made possible through support from Stage Directors and Choreographer Society, the National Theatrical Union celebrating five decades of uniting, empowering, and protecting professional stage directors and choreographers. Visit us online at sdcweb.org. This online series is presented in collaboration with the American Theatre Wing, dedicated to illuminating how theatre is made through the words of the people who make theatre. Visit them online at americantheaterwing.org.